Oh, great question. So, you know, I, I think as there's always, you're always looking for how do you get to the next order of magnitude of, of reliability, for example, um, or the next order, you know, how do you expand how much wind and storms you can fly through? And um, you mentioned weather forecasting. This is something we've been working on for a while. And one of the things we're looking at next year is how do you dynamically route around these, these high energy pockets of weather inside of a storm system? So if you're flying through, it can be like, okay, hey, I just need to like fly a kilometer this way and go around and keep on going. Uh, this is a really interesting challenge because um, you know, the, 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 for, you know, forecasting a weather system like this is a highly sort of probabilistic thing. Uh, and you're trying to, and you're have, and you have to do this kind of deviation while respecting, of course, all the regulatory rules to fly near the ground and all the safety optimizations we do in our, in our route planning. This has been a really interesting area of, of planning, because if you kind of, if you kind of think about the, Think about the, the, the proxy of autonomous cars, right? In some ways, they have the luxury of having the roads are there, right? So they don't have to think about like what, are, what you know, how do you design the roads? You, have, you just have to plan within the road system. Um, but with with a with a flying system like this, you're you're not you're planning the roads and you're planning how to fly in the roads all at the same time while you have many 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 aircraft in the air, which is a really interesting coupled controls planning and optimization problem that is that is something that we. We, you know, we've made a lot, we've come a really long way. Uh, you know, today we'll fly out of one distribution center up to about 40 aircraft in the air, uh, but we want to get up to hundreds of aircraft uh, at, in flying in one small airspace, and which is, we have a lot of interesting problems to solve in that we call it the airspace architecture uh, as we look to the future. It's definitely not traditional. It was, so, so the, just like with platform one, we started working very closely with customers, uh, a few select customers internal to the design process to make sure, to make sure we had the data that we needed to, 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 to basically mo to design a system that would really work for our customers, right? When you're designing a system like this, the first thing that's, you know, the physics is unrelenting, right? You don't get anything for free. Everything is a hard trade. If you want to lower the cost, you know, that's going to come at, you know, that's going to come at the penalty of may, how much payload you can carry or how much range you can fly. If you want to fly farther, you know, that's going to either cost more or reduce your payload. All these things are very tightly coupled in design space. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So in some ways it's very, very simple, right? During the delivery, you can essentially think, so the droid has its own smarts on board, right? So the droid is its own sensor. So it's looking for that flat spot to deliver and avoiding the trees as it comes down. So this, that makes that control system, you kind of think of that control system locally as lateral, right? Left, right turning. Um, and then it has a very simple link up to the zip. So there's a winch up on the zip. Uh, it's a, a very simple, you know, direct drive motor up there that, that controls the line. And so the, the droid is basically flying itself laterally and, and then we're sending requests up to the zip of say, of, you know, basically, you know, descend slower, descend slower, descend slower. Okay, I delivered, retract me. <laughs> and so it really it's, it's, it's a lot of people think it's a very coupled controls problem and it's not. The zip is just sort of hanging out there. And there's, there's some things we do, but, but they're very decoupled, right? The zip has a job to do. Uh, which is essentially just hang out in one spot and then listen to the the request from the droid uh, to control its winch. Um, and beyond that, um, it works quite well. As long as you maintain things like minimum line tension and stuff like that, it's all very predictable and straightforward. And the droid, which is the thing that actually comes close to obstacles, um, right? Like the trees you want to avoid and the umbrellas and you name it, what's in people's backyards. Uh, it, it, it's the one that's able to make these very simple calculations of like, all right, I found a tube to fly through and deliver. I delivered and, and retract me, please. Um, if that makes sense.
<laughs> um, I, there's, there's, you know, in some ways I feel very lucky. I think there's, there, there, it's so many of the things that I've gotten to work on before in robotics, I, you know, I, I always really enjoyed, uh, but finding something that has a really massive opportunity for positive impact, uh, and, and is something that we're, we're, that is both that, that is technologically challenging in the space. You know, there's just very few projects like that. And I think, you know, Zipline has been on this really interesting journey. Uh, and, um, on the, on, to talk a bit about the robotics and autonomy side of this journey, right? We very intentionally chose airspaces and use cases uh, that it would, where we could start operating without perception-based autonomy. Um, and we, I, that was really important to me because I'd seen so many companies in the world of autonomy of some form or another that they weren't customer-obsessed companies; they were technology-obsessed companies. And I, and I. I've just never seen a technology obsessed company make a big impact in the world. You kind of have to go the other way around. And so what's so exciting about where we started is we were able to really scale. And, you know, now we've done over 40 million uh, miles uh, of real world operations. Uh, and now as we, we've always known that perception-based autonomy would be required for future use cases and for future, some of the airspaces we want to get in and into. Uh, and then in the last few years, we started developing those technologies, getting to leverage this, company that is hyper focused on serving customers in really compelling ways. And I really enjoy that because now, now that we're really starting to scale up the, the perception-based autonomy work we're doing um, for, for all kinds of purposes like airspace integration and like precision delivery, um, uh, we get to do that with all this data and understanding of what really actually matters for the customer. Uh, and that's, there's, there's something very satisfying about doing hard technology work when you have a lot of confidence of exactly what you need to do to make it work for your customer versus having to imagine it and hope that someday maybe you get it right. It's a, uh, it's, it's very easy to build the wrong thing in that world and, and versus the, the kind of being tech customer led. So I, I that gets me really excited. 